All right, good afternoon. Are you guys awake yet? Good afternoon. Okay, I'm going to give you a chance. You probably already figured it out. You can scan that and get the sermon notes. Uh, but there's a lot more to it, so I encourage you to take your own notes as well, okay? All right. So earlier this year, I shared this picture of a popular statue that we've got over at Dallas Seminary Campus. And I was preaching on choosing to love from John 13, where we talked about following Christ and his example as a servant, where he washed the feet of how many disciples again? Twelve. All twelve disciples, including Judas, who betrayed him, including Peter, who denied him, including Thomas, who doubted him. Uh, remember, I don't know about you, but if I had friends like that, then I'd be kind of stressing out myself. But what I really want to do is go over this and remember the illustration uh, we saw uh, that in our daily walk, we usually pick up dirty, messy things along the road, which is why we need to have our feet washed daily. But when we fall into sin and let those things stick with us without getting cleansed by our Savior, it can actually lead us into a deep guilt that will adversely affect our walk with God. So when we see Peter's posture of submission, that's where we can follow that example, where we have to come to realize that guilt can actually impact us a couple different ways. Um, two of those ends of that spectrum are going to be either one, you're going to be committed uh, to correcting your wrong, or you're going to fall into depression and maybe even rebellion. And so when we commit to correcting a wrong, we actually grow in maturity and become valued contributors to society. But when we fall into depression or even rebellion, we no longer become a valued member of society and can even become a detriment to all of those around us. Over the years, I've learned that regularly asking God to cleanse our hearts restores us into joyful relationship with Him and His people. When I don't regularly confess my sins to God and ask Him to cleanse my heart, and this is confessing specific sins. I'm not talking about the sins that we kind of just lift up in general. I actually notice that my mood changes. My attitude isn't right. My relationships with others are adversely affected. I have trouble with doing things right. But most importantly, my relationship with God isn't what it's supposed to be. How many drivers do we have here? Raise your hands. All right. Some of you, this might look familiar. Uh, this is me trying to get home during rush hour in the afternoon at 5 o'clock, actually 4.30, and traffic's going crazy on 75 northbound. Well, when we're driving around, we have to realize that we're actually putting a lot of stress on our vehicles. Whether it's driving long distances or navigating stop-and-go traffic, 
Uh, as a matter of fact, the moment you start your vehicle, your vehicle is already getting stress on it. So for those of us who still drive gas combustion engines, um, I want you to see here a picture of two filters. Obviously, one is brand new, and the other is used. The one on the right shows you what happens if you do not change your oil filter and your oil. You end up with all kinds of gunk, and it will ruin your engine. So not regularly changing your oil and your filter will cause your vehicle to mal malfunction. At best, it's going to impact the, um, the performance and even the gas mileage. But the worst case scenario will actually result in catastrophic failure where it will destroy your engine and could even cause an accident that would not only affect you as a driver, but also your passenger and even those around you. Either way, not regularly changing your oil and your filter prevents you from driving your vehicle at its efficient performance. And it's kind of like that with, our, with sin in our lives. If we don't clean up our sin and just leave it unattended, all of that gunk will build up and destroy us. In Psalm 51, we will see that King David chose to correct his wrong rather than fall into depression or rebellion. And this was important. Not just because he was king of Israel, but simply because he loved God and God loved him. I don't think any of us here have ever had the responsibility of actually ruling over an entire kingdom, although maybe some the kids might think they do. Um, but I believe we can actually relate to King David in that he failed God numerous times. But one of his biggest failures, and Pastor Paul preached on this a while back, is that one where he's probably best known, uh, in which he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he murdered her husband, Uriah. The psalm starts with this. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So please go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 51. Because here we will see that David was already spiraling when he had Uriah sent to the front lines. But thank God this king didn't go any further into depression or rebellion. So this particular psalm was actually written for this particular sin. But let's pray before we take a close look at what he said. Heavenly Father, we praise you and give glory to your name. Forgive us, O God, of our sins and help us to come back into a right relationship with you. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, scrub away our guilt. Help us to admit when we have done you wrong. Humble us to seek a joyful relationship with you. Teach us to minister to others and do good to your people in your good pleasure as we present ourselves as living sacrifices. We pray this in the holy and matchless name of your son Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. The first thing that we'll notice in this passage is David's plea for merciful washing. And we see that in verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. God is known for his loyal and compassionate love. In Old Testament times, it was described as hesed. It's the ultimate love that you can receive. So David appealed to the Lord to cleanse him because of this hesed. He knew that he didn't deserve the Lord's forgiveness, nor could he earn it. So as followers of Christ, we need to understand, as David understood, that divine pardon comes to sinners by God's immeasurable grace alone. David asked God to blot out the record of his transgressions, namely sins that go beyond the limits that God had established for his people, the level of conduct that he wanted for them. In other words, David fell short of God's holy standards for his people. And then he goes on into verse 2. He says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The biblical writers often compared a person's deeds to the clothing that they wore uh, because it was what people saw. And so David was asking God to wash away his iniquity, his moral evil, to wash it away like the dirt that was on the garment of his behavior. So cleansing is actually a term that comes from that tabernacle ritual that they had way back when. Those who came into God's presence to worship and service him had to be clean. David correctly viewed this sin, also known as falling short of God's standards, as making the worship and service of a holy God impossible. Let me say that again. Sin makes the worship and service of a holy God impossible. So regularly presenting or asking God to cleanse us of our sin brings us back into a right relationship for worship. We need to follow David's example in his plea for merciful washing. Otherwise, all that gunk of sin that we don't ask God to cleanse will just clog things up for us and destroy our relationship with God. Then he goes on and has an admission of wrongdoing in verses 3 through 6. Verse 3, he says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. At this point, I realize, you know what? A year had passed since this transgression. David's sin of adultery in the time when he acknowledged his guilt was a really long span. And we know this because Bathsheba had already given birth to the child that she had conceived illegitimately with David. And David's sin had been on his mind for obviously several months. And evidently, he had hardened his heart and even refused to admit it, that he had done was wrong. Maybe he was trying to rationalize it somehow. Most of us have been there. Some of us may even have gotten too busy to confess. 
I know David could have had that excuse since he was ruling an entire kingdom. Or maybe we haven't been put into a critical situation that makes that confession urgent enough for us to bring to God. David continued on in verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David finally came to a place where he was willing to not only call his sin sin, but to admit that it was a sin against God. Obviously, he had sinned against Bathsheba and her husband, but David rightfully admitted that the worst thing he had done was offending Yahweh. He made no attempt to blame God for what had happened. He took full responsibility himself. He acknowledged that his judge was guiltless and that he was guilty. Taking personal responsibility for our sins is an important part of true confession. Verse 5, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This king went on to confess the depth of his sinfulness. He had been a sinner from the time he came into existence as a human being, namely at his conception. And you know what? This is one of the strongest indications in the Bible that human life begins at conception rather than at birth. He viewed sinful acts as the fruit of a sinful nature, not as the product of his environment or the situation that he had triggered. This verse doesn't mean David felt free of personal responsibility for his actions. He didn't feel like he actually was coming into this opportunity to blow it off. He actually did feel responsible. And as we see from the statements in this context, he knew that it was all about him. And then he says, Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David also realized that God wanted him to be completely honest, not just to offer a sacrifice. He needed to get his heart right with God. His confession had to be genuine rather than the superficial repetition of just some words that he was used to just shouting out to God. Do you know that wisdom in the Old Testament refers to living life in the light of God's presence and revelation? Living life in the light of God's presence and revelation. God wants people to completely be honest with him and to deal with reality. David acknowledged this. So responsibility, responsibly presenting ourselves to God with a right heart brings us back into a right relationship for learning. Why? Because we will be stubborn and not listen if we don't have a right heart. Having a right heart means having an open heart, a heart ready to receive teaching from our Lord. As we read his 
word, as we get deeper into the Bible, it penetrates our hearts because we've opened it up to the truth. That means that our confessions need to be genuine. Next, David gave a petition for restoration in verses 7 through 12. He says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Again, just like in verses 1 through 2, David was pleading for purification and cleansing. In Israel, the high priest would actually sprinkle animal blood on the altar with a hyssop branch. And this ritual actually signified cleansing by a sacrificial death. Does that remind you of someone? Someone at the cross cleansed us sacrificially. David knew that. If God would wash him morally, he would be thoroughly clean. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. This verse is a request for renewed joy and gladness. And it actually indicates a deep joy. And it's a really good graphic illustration of broken bones. David's fractured relationship with God paint him as much as a broken bone. Anybody here ever broken a bone? I'll give you another sermon example in a few months, but I've had 10 broken ribs. And that was painful. And that's the kind of pain that David was going through because it wasn't human bones that were fractured. It was this holy relationship between him and God that was broken. But for those of us who've had broken bones, you know what? After a bone heals, it's actually stronger than it was before. In verse 9, he says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. You know, the expressions in this verse picture God as a judge uh, removing David's sins. David wanted God to put his sins in a place where he would not see them and to blot out any record from his record books. He was basically asking God, expunge my records, which is what only our holy judge can do. And in verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David's, spirit, um, David's thinking is now moving towards the thoughts of spiritual renewal. In contrast to his sinful heart, he sensed the need for a clean heart. He requested a spirit that was more faithful to the Lord than his natural spirit, which is basically our human, our fleshly inclination to follow the world, world rather than to follow our mighty God. And in verse 11, he says, Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Casting away from God's presence implies a rejection as God's servant. You know, the previous King Saul, he suffered that fate because of his continuous rebellion against Yahweh. 
In the Old Testament times, God gave his Holy Spirit selectively and temporarily. Selectively to empower only some believers, and then temporarily, primarily to empower them for special acts of service. But you know what? Today, since the day of Pentecost, all believers enjoy the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our church age. Consequently, the possibility of God withdrawing his spirit from David was a real one for him, and it terrified him, but it's not for us. It is possible, though, that a Christian may lose um, his or her opportunities to serve the Lord. For example, a Christian who gets involved in a gross sin will not lose his or her salvation, but he or she may lose the opportunity to serve God in a leadership capacity. In verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Again, David, just like in verse 8, asked for a renewed joy. He had he hadn't lost his salvation as a result of his sin, but he had lost the joy of it. The Lord was apparently not delivering him from his present distress as he had done previously. Why? Because he had hardened his heart. But yet now he's come to this point where he's actually opened his heart. And he's now requesting a cooperative spirit. One that would cooperate with God and thereby sustain him. So through all of this, as David was petitioning for restoration, we need to realize that humbly presenting ourselves to God from a place of brokenness brings us back into our right relationship of joy. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've lost joy? I've been there. It's not a good place to be. You may even be going through it right now. And this often happens because we're actually in a place of brokenness. We have hope, though. Not just for the future into eternity, but for the present into now. You can have that joy now, once again. All we have to do is humbly present ourselves before God to be washed whiter than snow so that we can be spiritually renewed and be brought back into a right relationship with him. Fourth, David had a grateful response of action in verses 13 through 17. He said, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you the promises David made in this section of verses really gave God reasons to grant forgiveness they were basically indirect requests for pardons if forgiven David would show others how God deals with penitent sinners he would do this as an example as well as being able to tell them. Then sinners would turn to the Lord for deliverance. Imagine that. When confessing, you get to worship God, learn from Him, retake your joy, and now help others come to Him. Because you know what? There are probably others around you who are going through the same things. 
But the victory that God gives us through these opportunities to confess our sin are going to be ones in which we can pour out those blessings upon others who are going through similar situations. In verse 14, he says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You know what blood guilt refers to? It's the guilt that comes out of killing someone without divine authorization. In the New American Standard, it says, Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, the God of my salvation. When God saved him from this guilt and opened his lips by forgiving him, David would joyfully praise the Lord. Can you imagine the guilt that he was carrying all this time from having killed someone? Nonetheless, God saved him from his guilt and freed him up to sing praises to Yahweh. Then he goes on and he says, For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David promised to sacrifice to Yahweh if God would forgive him. He would offer sacrifices of worship, but he acknowledged that what God really wanted and what he would really also offer was a different attitude that came from him. In David's case, there was no sin or trespass offering that he could present to God that would be acceptable. Since he had sinned with a high hand in rebellious defiance of Yahweh and in repudiation of the terms of his covenant, his sentence was, guess what? Death. That was the ultimate payment that David needed to give to his God. The only reason he didn't suffer this fate was that God pardoned him. The prophet Nathan brought the news of God's special pardon to David, as we saw in 2 Samuel. I want you to know this. For those of us who have put our trust in Christ alone as our Savior, God has already given his promise to pardon the guilt of any New Testament believer for any sin we may commit. The basis of this gracious pardon is the work of Jesus on Calvary. On the cross, he said, it is finished. It is complete. That was it. There's nothing that we can do to add to it. There's nothing that we can do to take away from it. Putting our trust in him alone pardons us of those sins. So we see that from David's response of action, sacrificially presenting ourselves to God in obedience and deep sorrow brings us back into our right relationship for service. That includes helping others with similar struggles. 
releasing yourself to praise God wherever you are and developing a new attitude of gratitude. David's confession of his sin and prayer for inner renewal formed a basis for him to instruct sinners in verse 13, to praise Yahweh in verses 14 through 15, and to deepen his own commitment to the Lord in verses 16 to 17. And then finally, in the remaining verses, we see David's request for the prosperity of his people. In in verse 18, he says, Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. David extended his personal blessing to the nation under his authority. God had promised to protect David from death. Now David was asking the Lord to protect his people as well. For us, we need to realize that God's grace is so great and immeasurable that it can and should overflow onto us and out to others. Think about it. Then in verse 19, he says, Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. If God so willed, then his people could and would continue to worship him in his appointed ways. This would actually bring delight to the Lord, even as he had brought delight to his people by forgiving them and preserving them. That means that everyone we now offer up to God and everything that we bring before him after all this would actually bring him joy as we rejoice in his unfailing love. This is a beautiful conclusion to this psalm, especially for those who have been given authority and responsibility over a group of people, whether it's in the workplace or at school, in a family, amongst your friends, the church, your house church, wherever you name it. This is for those of us who are supposed to be shepherding others. Here, we need to know that joyfully presenting ourselves to God by extending his unfathomable grace to others brings us back into our right relationship for leading. Confession releases us to experience joy. And from that joy, we can clearly see once again the tremendous grace that God has given us. For those of us in any type of leadership capacity, let's take that joy and continue to pray for God's grace and goodness to be upon his people. And even if you're not in any formal leadership capacity, remember that the joy of God wants you to have all of this And he wants you to be able to share it with others around you. Remember, that grace needs to be poured out onto us and from us to others. So, as we've seen with David, this is what it means to live with a clean heart. 
David's plea for merciful washing, his admission of wrongdoing, petition for restoration, his grateful response of action, his request for the prosperity of his people. When we as believers sin against God, we need to confess and repent. We can count on his gracious, abundant forgiveness because he has promised to forgive the fellowship consequences that we have gotten caught up in. He wants us to adopt a different attitude toward him that results in changed conduct. You know, forgiveness should actually result in a renewed commitment to worship and to serve our Lord. David was considered a man after God's own heart, even after all of the crud that he picked up in life, after all of the sins that he committed. And I hope this psalm gives you a better idea of how or why that may even be. Are you lacking joy in your life? Regularly asking God to cleanse our hearts restores us into a joyful relationship with him and his people. So how can we apply these lessons from David's life? Well, David's plea for merciful washing for us could turn into us asking God to scrub away our guilt. Regularly presenting ourselves to God for cleansing brings us back into a right relationship for worship. Always remember that divine pardon comes to sinners by God's immeasurable grace alone. Only God can cleanse us of our sins. We just have to ask him. From David's admission of wrongdoing, we learn that we can admit to God when we have done wrong. Responsibly presenting ourselves to God with a right heart brings us back into our right relationship for learning. Our confessions need to be genuine before God. You know what my hope is for our house churches? That we would not be superficial in our sharing, but genuine and authentic. But you know what? That's not going to happen unless we ourselves first start being genuine and authentic with God. Third, we need to seek from God a joyful relationship with him. Humbly presenting ourselves to God from a place of brokenness brings us back into a right relationship for joy. Remember David's graphic illustration of broken bones? He was longing for a deep joy. If it's something that you've been looking for, you can have it by presenting yourself to God for holy cleansing. Just know that it is in our brokenness where we can best receive God's goodness. Fourth, work with God to minister to others. Sacrificially presenting ourselves to God in obedience and deep sorrow brings us back into a right relationship for service. Now take advantage of your forgiveness. 
and your renewed relationship with God to minister to others. Start with your family. Although I know for some of us, maybe family might be difficult than our regular friends. But you know what? That is what God originally designed family for. Let's take back God's design for family and start there. Then go to your friends, colleagues, and associates. You know a good place to practice this? Right here and in your house church. And then in number five, pray to God for his goodness in your community. Joyfully presenting ourselves to God by extending his unfathomable grace to others brings us back into a right relationship for learning. Look at the people next to you. Look at the people behind you. Look at the people in front of you. Come on, do it. I want you to do some eye-to-eye contact. Not that long. All right. Now take a moment to ponder the immeasurable grace that God has poured upon you and how it needs to overflow from you onto everyone around you. If you don't think that the person next to you deserves grace, look at yourself and realize that for those of us who don't deserve it, God's given it to us in plenty so that we can give it. Leaders aren't just those you see up front. They are also those who encourage people to move forward from behind. They are those who come alongside people who need to be carried. They are those who speak words of grace to those who need to hear. They are those who help carry the burden of those who are weary. They are the prayer warriors to lift us up when we don't even know we need lifting up. Do you know what makes it possible for us to be able to genuinely pray to God for goodness in our community? It's when each and every one of us is in a right relationship with him. And when we have clean hearts to come to him. Because you know what the beauty of it is? When we humbly come before the Lord and he has cleansed our hearts, we're not all uppity with each other. We suddenly realize how broken we are. And we can come alongside one another in brokenness. The body of Christ, can you imagine? Christ himself prayed for unity. And you know how he does that? He gives it to us by allowing us to come to his Father to confess every detailed sin in our lives so that we can have a clean heart and come before him. Regularly asking God to cleanse our hearts restores us into a joyful relationship with him and his people. In other words, we mess up a lot. So let's clean up our mess by always asking God to clean up our hearts.
Amen.